Hey everybody, I'm Beth Davis and welcome to Teachable Tuesday where every week we discover God's heart and are changed by his word. Hey, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me into your home, your car, your life. It's a privilege to grow with you. So grab a Bible. We're about to be rocked by this word. Open it up to Romans chapter 5 and let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We need you. Send us your light and your inspiration as we read this, your word, as we listen today, as we examine our lives. We never want to do that without you. God, so um, we present ourselves to you. We open ourselves up to you. We thank you for your presence and your love. Romans chapter 5, starting at verse 1. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand, and we boast in our hope of sharing in the glory of God. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint us, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So when I was a youth minister, I once planned a local overnight retreat for my 6th through 8th graders. And it was going to be beautiful. They were, uh, it was pretty low-key. They were going to sleep over at the parish. We had a Catholic school attached to the church, so they were going to sleep uh, in classrooms. And then we'd play games outside. It was up on this beautiful um, mesa. Uh, so all these green trees, all this space to run around. We had Eucharistic adoration in the church. But the highlight, the thing I was the most looking forward to was a hike up Mount Eldon in Flagstaff. And at the top, we were going to celebrate Mass. Now, can you picture this? Celebrating the Eucharist with my beloved students overlooking our gorgeous town on a perfect fall day. Sounds like a great plan, right? The thing is, I'd never actually hiked that six plus mile trail that went up a mountain whose peak rises 2,300 feet above the town. And the town itself is situated at 7,000 feet above sea level. That's 9,300 feet of elevation, if you're counting. And it takes an average of four plus hours, that is if you're not hiking with a hundred sixth through eighth grade students. So I'm more of a big picture gal. I didn't really look up these stats. I didn't prepare for this hike in any way. I just kind of blocked out the time and hoped for the best. And starting out, I brought that same naive pride to the endeavor that I'd had in planning the adventure. I mean, the trail leads up to the mountain. It's called Fat Man's Loop. I mean, how tough can it be? 
turns out pretty tough. So uh, I feel like that's a little bit like our life in Christ. If you can follow the analogy early on, Christianity is amazing, right? We encounter Jesus. He saves us from our sins. What a win, right? Everything's beautiful. Everything's new. Everything's imbued with the love and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Suddenly we have this roadmap for our life. We have a compass, a moral compass that maybe we didn't know what to think or believe in certain situations. And now here it is. We're changed in relationship with him from the inside out. We, we become a new person, a new creation in Christ. But then our life doesn't change. Things don't change. Other people don't change. Life doesn't get any easier. It still hurts. Uh, bad things still happen. So if we have Christ and we're doing everything right, we're living a moral life, going to mass, trying to become a more loving person, why is life still so hard? In this journey of life with Jesus, which we as Christians call discipleship, the end goal of our life isn't an easier life. The end goal of our life is heaven. But so often the reality of heaven has not been presented to us, or at least not in a way that's appealing. We long for beauty to be known intimately deeply known. We long for, for something that lasts and we convince ourselves <laughs> that the next vacation or the next Amazon package being delivered to our doors this afternoon, that will satisfy our craving. So in Romans 5, Paul gives us a remedy for this short-sightedness and he offers instead a long view he reminds us of our ultimate goal, our prize, which is heaven. We boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. You see here, he's inflaming our desire for eternal life, for union with God, inviting us to meditate on the reality, the eventuality of heaven if we live our life in accord with what Jesus teaches. Only with this perspective, of our final destination in mind, can we understand or endure the challenges of this life? Because remember in John 16, Jesus tells his disciples, that means he's telling you and me, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you might have trouble, not some of you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble, but take courage or take heart. I have overcome the world. And because of this, Romans 8, you and I are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We know through experience, through the words of Jesus, that suffering will come. What we don't always know is that we can overcome it, not by avoiding pain, not by allowing ourselves to be defined by it. That's a temptation of pain, that it would become everything to us, that it would become our only reality, the only thing we can see or, or think or feel. And for good reason, sometimes that pain and suffering, it's all consuming, but we can't be defined by it. 
So how, how do we understand or endure it? By walking with Christ through it. Back to our uh, scripture for today, Romans 5, chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. And not only that, but we also boast in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Now, for the last few weeks, we've been unpacking this scripture. If you missed the last two weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and listen and get caught up. Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. We talked about the importance of endurance in hard times, not running from pain, but exercising patience and self-control when all we want to do is get it over with. Anybody else? It's my normal approach to pain, just white knuckle it, surely (laughs) this too shall pass, right? We talked about how suffering can make us better and not bitter. Oh, don't you want that? I, I want the suffering which will come in this life. I want it to make me better. What do I mean by better? More Christ-like, developing that Christ-like character in us. I want to become like Jesus, not in spite of my pain, but, but in and through my pain with Jesus. How important faith is in this time when we can't see what God is doing or even where he is. And today we see this verse through to the end. In times of pain and struggle, if we stay with Jesus, if we allow hardship to develop that Christ-like character in us, to make us more like Jesus who suffered, to make us more like Jesus who suffered, we will become people of hope. That's the end of the equation. It's counterintuitive, right? How do adverse circumstances produce positive results? How can suffering bring about hope? So much so that in the words of St. Paul, we boast in our sufferings. Now, it might be helpful here to define what I mean by hope because the church has a different uh, definition of the word hope, the virtue of hope, than maybe our typical use of the word. The catechism calls hope a theological virtue, meaning that it relates to God, not, first of all, about our life or ourselves. The virtue of hope comes from God, And it leads us back to God. It orients us. It orients our life. Now, that's different from our modern understanding of hope as synonymous with wishful thinking. Or even as dictionary.com calls it, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Now, we all have that kind of hope, right? Hope in the natural human sense. The church recognizes that, but encourages us to keep going, to aim higher. This is Catechism, paragraph 1818. The virtue of hope responds to the aspiration of happiness, which God has placed in the heart of every man. It takes up the hopes that inspire men's activities and purifies them so as to order them to the kingdom of heaven. It keeps man from discouragement, sustains him during times of abandonment. It opens up his heart in expectation of eternal beatitude. Now, let's 
pause here and rest a moment because I, I know we're focusing. I, I'm trying to draw your attention to call you up higher, just as the Lord is calling me up higher to, to this hope that's about God, that finds its satisfaction, its fulfillment in God alone. But before that, I, I want to meet you where you are, and God meets us where we are. God cares about your hopes and your dreams. Now, maybe you've been disappointed or hurt. Maybe you're in the middle of that disappointment or hurt right now. So let me repeat that. God cares about your hopes and your dreams. It's why he promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And then he fulfilled that promise with a son called Isaac. He was good on his word because the Lord is faithful and kind. He blesses us. He delights in blessing us. He cares for us as our good father. He's creative and intentional and detailed, but the blessings aren't him. They're the overflow of who he is. The virtue of hope aims higher than just what we desire to see here and now. Not to fix our hearts or our happiness on a spouse or a baby or a raise or a bigger house or even a clean bill of health. These are good things and I'm with you in them. I desire them too. But right ordered hope, right ordered hope is when our hearts are set on him, pleasing him, loving him, being with him forever in heaven and living our lives in such a way that nothing is worth more on this earth than reaching that beatific summit. The hope I had of hiking that mountain to reach my ultimate goal of receiving Jesus in the Eucharist was really a foreshadowing of our earthly pilgrimage. I wish I could say that we only had to climb that mountain once. Uh, that I wish I could tell you that uh, that soul-shaping suffering would only come once in a lifetime, but I love you too much to lie to you, to sugarcoat it. We will have to climb this mountain again and again, which is why it's so important that we understand what God is accomplishing in and through our trials. He's making us like him so that we can be with him forever in heaven. So in our walk with Jesus in this life, when hard times come our way, and they will, right? They will. We don't have to go looking for them. We can start the uphill climb every single time with the end in mind. And what is the end? Union with God, beginning here and now, but for eternity. Because this world is not everything. Even those things that you, you dream of and you desire, those, those good things that you wish to see happen in your life that you hope for and that you pray for, they will not ultimately fulfill us and they will pass. They can't possibly fulfill us. In the language of Jesus, they are, this world is passing away. That's why it hurts so much. 
That's why it's broken and it doesn't last. But take courage. Take courage. You and I have an inheritance beyond all that we could ask for or imagine. And that, that is the hope that does not disappoint us. So how do we live into this hope? You might be thinking that this is all well and good, but I've got bills to pay, right? I've got little kids to, to feed and raise. I've got a job and coworkers and a boss who don't know the Lord and don't have that same value. What about me? Well, I'm going to tell you, here's how you live into this hope. By prioritizing the peak starting now. And you can do that in little ways. In fact, today I want to suggest to you three ways that you can write order and increase your hope for heaven starting now. First of all, pray for detachment. Pray for detachment. Perhaps you've heard of this concept called holy indifference. It's in the writings of St. Ignatius. And it's been kind of on my radar recently, mostly because I don't think I have it. <laughs> this holy indifference has been plaguing me because I am not indifferent about my vocation, about my family, about my ministry. I care very much and I have the sin to show for it, right? Clinging and striving and comparing. But holy indifference isn't being indifferent, despite the fact that that word is in the title. It's not about being indifferent. It doesn't mean that you don't care. Holy indifference is more about detachment. We, we still value, in fact, we, we value at the highest level God and his will for our lives, but we detach from anything and everything else. This came home for me last week. I'd been kind of thinking and praying about holy indifference or maybe my lack of holy indifference. Uh, so I, I brought my sins, my desires, all of that into, into confession. And I was surprised. I don't know why I was surprised that God met me in confession, that he spoke directly to this problem and this pain in my life. And my priest confessor encouraged me to pray for the grace of detachment. Fun fact, I have this growing devotion to St. Charbel. And, and through, the little, <laughs> through the little slide, he slipped me a prayer card of St. Charbel. And he said, ask St. Charbel to pray for you for the grace of detachment. And this can be helpful too, just redefining our terms. More often we think of detachment as letting go, right? Kind of this painful, uh, like we're, we're just getting our hands off of this thing. Um, someone's prying it out of our hands or, or we're surrendering, right? This painful, painfully surrendering this thing that we deeply desire. But but as this holy priest told me, detachment is more so about posturing ourselves to receive the better thing that God wants to do. So whatever the Lord is asking us to let go of, to surrender to him, it's because he's trying to posture us to receive the better thing, our highest good. He's right ordering our desires, but we can't detach on our own. So pray Ask God for the grace of detachment. We need his help. Secondly, to fast from pleasures. We can do that starting now. You don't have to wait for Lent to start fasting. 
Maybe you've heard about St. Therese and her sacrifice beads. Uh, other places I've read they were called good deed beads. And essentially it's a little string of beads with 10 beads on them. And St. Therese and her sisters, it was almost like a little game. They would carry this string of beads in their pocket and slide them down to the other end of the string every time they made a sacrifice. Or every time Therese accomplished some little act of love, some small act of love. We have to, in this life, begin to deprive ourselves of small pleasures um, every day, not only during penitential seasons, right? You can forego salting your food or getting another pumpkin cream cold brew. We want to communicate to our souls and our bodies because body and soul are a unity. We want to let our flesh know, no. This is not going to be your ultimate happiness. This isn't everything that you want it to be. It's not the fulfillment of all our desires and I can live without it because I'm living for a higher good. I'm living for something better. I'm posturing myself to receive more from God. I don't want my arms or my heart so full that I can't receive the thing that God desires to give me. So regularly practice fasting to remind yourself that your happiness cannot be found on this earth. And finally, get in community. Get in community. You might be wondering, what, what does community have to do with hope or heaven? Well, hiking that mountain with my middle schoolers was an incredible test of faith. I'm not embarrassed to tell you that. Uh, and it's not because of the kids. <laughs> it was because of me. The kids actually saved my life if they hadn't been there. And if I wasn't in charge of the whole adventure, I could have quit when it got hard, which honestly would have been pretty early on. I wouldn't have persevered. I, I could have I said, well, I got this far. And, and then, I don't know, it was beyond me. We come up with all kinds of reasons, all kinds of excuses to let ourselves off the hook. But I kept going because I had someone to hike with. And I want you to have someone to hike with. This metaphorical mountain, this journey to God, journey back to God in heaven. So who's hiking with you? Right now, in this season of your life, who's climbing the mountain with you? Encouraging you, keeping you company, right? Who's gone before you? And they can show you the way. You can, you can look ahead and you can kind of follow in their path, in their steps. Because let me tell you, on, on Mount, Mount Eldon, that was a steep incline. And sometimes I had to look ahead to see where the kids had put their feet so that I could find the safest way to move forward. So who's a part of this community? Who's hiking with you? Maybe it's just one person and that's good. It's so good to have one person who's, who's journeying on the way with you, but a small group is even better. Write down some names today. I want you to work this out and, and really make it tangible. I want you to see uh, these people's names or this person's names to thank God for her. Um, and, and maybe if you look at this list, maybe you don't have anybody that you feel like you're climbing with, or maybe it's just one or two and you'd like to get a hiking group going, okay? We're going with this analogy. Maybe you want a small group. Well, who can you call 
pray, pray, ask the Lord to inspire your memory, to bring people to mind. God, who can I invite onto this journey with me? And then call them, reach out, tell her, I watched this Teachable Tuesday. I need some support. I'm tired of hiking alone. So with Jesus, our source and summit in mind, and with others on the same path, what are trials and suffering, adversity and affliction, but a purifying preparation to be able to enjoy forever, to be able to fully receive the greatest gift we've ever been given, eternal life with God, God who loves us. And I'll leave you today to meditate on the words of a woman who knows what it is to suffer and to long and to give everything for Jesus, St. Teresa of Avila. Hope, oh my soul, hope. You know neither the day nor the hour. Watch carefully for everything passes quickly. Even though your impatience makes doubtful what is certain and turns a very short time into a very long one. Dream that the more you struggle, the more you prove the love that you bear your God and the more you will rejoice one day with your beloved in a happiness and rapture that can never end. Let's pray. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen, Jesus. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. We love you. You're worth everything. You're worth everything. We offer back to you uh, all of the suffering and the pain. And we don't do that on our own, God, but you're with us. Send us your Holy Spirit to, to be our hiking partner, to encourage us, to show us the way. Holy Spirit, would you inspire us even now um, with names and faces, people that can, that can uh, make this ascent with us. And God, would you do the work that only you can do? Would you, would you give us hope of heaven, increase our hope for union with you, God? It's the desire of your heart. Help us to know that, that you desire to be with us forever. We pray all this, Jesus, in your holy and precious name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wow! Good stuff. The Word of God just rocking my world and hopefully yours too. Uh, love you guys. See you next week for a little time to kind of meditate and marinate in the Word. God bless you. See you then. Bye.